Lord, tonight in Mark chapter 11, this chapter brings us to the final, the beginning of the final week, the crucifixion week of Jesus Christ in the gospel of Mark. And you'll remember last week we talked about the eye of the needle and what that, what that really means. And we ended the story with the healing of the blind man in Jericho. Brings us to Mark chapter 11. The scripture says, And when they came nigh to Jerusalem unto Bethphage, the house of figs, and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sendeth forth two of his disciples, and saith unto them, Go your way into the village over against you, and as soon as you be entered into it, you shall find a colt tied, whereon ever man, whereon never man set, loose him and bring him. And if any man say unto you, Why do you this? Say ye that the Lord, who? The Lord, the Lord hath need of him, and straightway he will send him hither. And they went their way and found the colt tied by the door without in a place where two ways met. And they loose him. So it was there just as the Lord said it would be there. And certain of them that stood there said unto them, What do ye loose in the colt? And they said unto them, Even as Jesus had commanded. And they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and cast their garments on him. And he sat upon him. And many spread their garments in the way. And others cut down branches of the trees and strawed them in the way. And they... That went before and they that followed cried saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David and that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple. And when he had looked round about upon all things, now the evening tide was come. He went out unto Bethany with the twelve. And on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree off, afar off, having leaves, he came, if happily he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. They came to Jerusalem, and Jesus went into the temple and began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple, and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves, and would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. And he taught, saying unto them, Is it not written, My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves? The scribes and the chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him. For they heard him because all the people was astonished at his doctrine. And when even was come, he went out of the city. And in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter calling to remember it, saith unto him, Master, behold the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. Jesus answering saith unto them, Have faith in God, for verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, 
he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and ye shall have them. And when you stand praying, forgive, if you have aught against any, that your Father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father, which is in heaven, forgive your trespasses. And they come again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, there come to him the, de- the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. And say unto him, By what authority dost thou these things? Who gave thee this authority to do these things? Jesus answered and said unto them, I will also ask of you one question. And answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or of men? Answer me. And they reasoned with themselves, saying, If we shall say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But if we shall say of men, they feared the people, for all men counted John that he was a prophet indeed. And they answered and said unto Jesus, We cannot tell. And Jesus answering saith unto them, Neither do I tell you by what authority I do these things. Lord Jesus, I give you the praise and the glory and the honor tonight for your word. Have your way in our midst, God. We love you, we praise you, and we worship you, O God. You're awesome, Jesus. We thank you in advance for what you're going to do here tonight. In the name of Jesus, God. Amen. You may be seated. To give you a little bit of a background as to where we are as far as time, in in, uh, the Gospel of Luke, the 19th chapter, we have Zacchaeus, a man who lives in Jericho. After Jesus healed the blind man, the scripture tells us in Luke chapter 19 that he goes over and he stays in the house of Zacchaeus. Now, he went there Friday evening at some point into the, to the area of Zacchaeus' home. He stayed the night there and spent the Sabbath day with Zacchaeus. Now, that's very important to understand why the Bible says he must need. He told Nicodemus, uh, Zacchaeus, he said, I must needs stay in your house today. But it wasn't that he was just going to stay there in the daytime. He was going to spend the night, Friday night, our Friday night, and then a Saturday he was going to be in the house with Zacchaeus, not just to eat, but because he's the Passover lamb. He has to be chosen as the Passover lamb for the house. So he has to go in, are you with me here? On the 10th of Nisan, which would be Saturday, the 10th of Nisan, which would be our April, the 10th of April, he has to be found in a house. Not just to go eat there, but because he is the Passover lamb that must be set apart on the 10th day. And then four days later, he would be crucified on a cross. You with me here? So Saturday would have been the 10th of Nisan. And then four days later on Wednesday, he will be crucified. Not on a Friday. Or a Thursday, but on a Wednesday, Jesus was crucified. So everything that happens, everything that Jesus does, when he goes into the house of Zacchaeus and stays there on the Sabbath day, it is all linked 
to the fulfillment of the types and shadows of the Old Testament because he is the Passover lamb. Amen. God is good. And while he's in that house, the Bible tells us that there is a supper that is served him. And Martha is the one that is serving him. And Lazarus is sitting at the table with him, reclining as a guest in Zacchaeus' house, along with Jesus at the table. Now, a lot of times we think that he's sitting in the house of Lazarus there. But really, it's most most likely that it's actually Zacchaeus's house it's not Lazarus's house because if it were Lazarus's house then Lazarus would have been the host but Lazarus is the guest and he's reclining at the table with Jesus and you can read this in Luke 19 and this is a Sabbath day when this meal is served okay you with me here at this point now after this Sabbath day then we have the first day of the crucifixion week which brings us to Mark chapter 11 This is going to bring us to a Sunday. Okay? Now, we commonly preach from this text, and it's often titled Palm Sunday. So you'll kind of get an understanding of where we're preaching from. But it's the first day of the crucifixion week. Mark chapter 11. All right? So as far as time goes, do you know where we are now? All right. The Bible tells us that... When they came nigh to Jerusalem and to Bethphage, the house of Figs and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, he sendeth forth two of his disciples. He saith unto them, Go your way into the village over against you, and as soon as you be entered into it, you shall find a colt tied, whereon never man set, loose him, and bring him here. This was later in uh, Saturday evening when this took place, all right? So they go and do what the Lord does. They find the colt tied exactly just like Jesus said. And Jesus says, when they ask you what you're doing loosing this colt, tell them that the Lord has need of him. Do you understand that? Now, there's a lot of people today who don't want you to believe and will teach that Jesus was not Lord or was not God. There are some people that will, will accept the fact that he's God, but won't accept the fact that he's the Father. Some of them will tell you that he is not Jehovah. And that's not a real good translation of the name of God anyway. But just for the sake of your understanding. They will not tell you that he is Jehovah. Or they get that word, it's a bad translation for the yod Hey vav Hey name of God which is commonly translated from the Hebrew into the Old Testament as Lord, all capitals. So when you read through the Old Testament, you see Lord, all capitalized. It is the Yot, the Hay, the Vav, and the Hay, which is translated sometimes Jehovah. You with me here? Sometimes the word God, G-O-D, is all capitalized. It's the same. It's the English translation from Yod, Hay, Vav, Hay. The point is... The Lord hath need of him, lets you know that he is the mighty God. You with me? He is Jehovah. He is God come in the flesh. For some of you have a problem with that. The Bible says the Lord hath need of him. And so these people allow them to take this coat. 
And the verse says in verse 6, verse 7, And they brought the colt to Jesus and cast their garments on him, and he sat upon him. Right. Now, this would be a Sunday when he's actually sitting upon this colt. Right. Palm Sunday. Right. And he's fixing to make his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Right. You with me here? Yes. He is going to present himself as the king. Now, the Gospel of Mark is the, is the Gospel that presents him as a servant. So this is very unique in the fact that now the servant is going to present himself in a different way in the Gospel of Mark than what he had presented himself before. He's going to present himself as the King of Israel. You with me here? And the way he's going to do this, he's going to ride in triumphantly starting two miles away in Bethany. He's going to make his way from Bethany, two miles away from Jerusalem. He's going to go down the side of the Mount of Olives in the Kidron Valley. And he's going to make his way up into the eastern gate or the gate of the temple. It's called the Merciful Gate. He's going to go into Jerusalem there. You with me? Okay. So that's where he's going to travel. He's going to be traveling from the east. And he's going up to Jerusalem. Amen. And he's going to present himself as their king. Their Messiah. And he does this, according to Zechariah chapter 9, he is not going to ride in on a white horse the first time he comes. He is going to ride in on the colt, the foal of an ass. Because if you ride in as a king on a horse, that means you are declaring war. But when he, he came the first time, he rides in... On a, a donkey, because he is not declaring war, he is declaring peace. Now, the next time he comes back triumphantly in Revelation chapter 19, he's coming back riding on a horse because he's coming as a warrior. You understand? This is a triumphal entry in connection with his first coming. Revelation 19, when he comes riding on a white horse, is a triumphal entry in connection with his second coming. So you've got two triumphal entries. So he rides in on this donkey, and he's, it's, it's humility. Okay? It's humility. It's, a, it's an emblem of peace. It is what kings ride in the east. They ride donkeys in the east. So it's not an animal of disdain. It's an, it's an animal of honor. So he's riding in on this little donkey. Now the Bible tells us there is a, a colt, an ass, and a colt, the foal of an ass. So there's the, the donkey, the mom, and the little baby. And they're both going to be going up to uh, Jerusalem with Jesus. And so what does that mean? When he comes in as the king, of king, or the king presenting himself as their king, and coming in peace, to his people Israel. He's going to have both of those. He's going to have the mama. And he's going to have the little donkey. Because it represents Israel. And it represents the Gentiles. And he as God. Can set upon an untamed colt. Because he's God. The whole creation is subject to him. And it never bucks. It never kicks. So it's a picture of him. Coming in authority and power. Among his people of Israel and the Gentiles. Now, when he rides into when he rides from Bethany, 
When he gets over towards the Mount of Olives, that's when this crowd begins to gather. Multitudes of people begin to gather as he makes his way into Jerusalem. You with me here? And they begin to go to the palm trees and begin to get palm branches and, and bring them there. And they begin to worship the Lord. And the Bible says they take their clothes and they cast them before him. But it is not like most pictures you have ever seen. Because they're not throwing their coats on the ground. Most pictures you see of Jesus' triumphal entry as he presents himself as the king to Israel in peace. You see them throwing all their clothes on the ground, you know, and all these palm branches before him. That is not what is happening here. What they are doing is they are taking these palm branches and they are tying their talits. Their prayer shawls. They're tying their prayer shawls. Brother, can you go get my prayer shawls? I don't know what I'm talking about. It's in that bottom drawer down in, the, in, in that uh, desk. So you, see, you know what a prayer shawl is, don't you? prayer shawl and it's got the zitzit on the corners there and each of those zit, the zitzit have the name of God yod hey vav hey wound in it ten wraps for the letter yot you with me here five wraps for the letter hey six wraps for the letter vav five wraps for the letter vav yod hey vav hey ten five six five that is the numeric equivalent to the name of God himself you understand? And they have got these prayer shawls with these zit seats with the name of the zit seats or those ribbons that I'm talking about that have those windings on. And I'll show you in just a minute if they can find it. And so what they do with those prayer shawls is they tie those talits or those prayer shawls to those palm branches. And they're not throwing them on the ground. Okay? They're lifting them up before him. They are putting them before him. So they're making a huge canopy of prayer shawls of talits as he travels, you with me here? Down the side of the Mount of Olives, through the valley, the Kidron Valley, and up through that gate that leads to the temple. Do you understand? And they begin to sing. And they begin to worship. Jesus rides as as they're singing and as they're worshiping and as they're praising. And then the Bible says, in the Gospel of Matthew, it says that literally the people were moved to him. The whole city was moved. That means it was a shaking like an earthquake. If they can't find it, it's all right. There was a shaking in that land. A shaking of praise. And of course, the religious leaders didn't like it as Jesus made his way up to Jerusalem. You know why they didn't? Y'all hang with me here. Y'all don't get too radical on me yet. I'm not there yet. <laughs> I know y'all are there. Y'all give me time to catch up with you. <laughs> See, they, they didn't like the praise. They didn't want the Lord to be praised like that. You know, and be sung to like that. I'm talking about, it, it wasn't like anything you have ever seen. They, Israel, recognize that Jesus is the Messiah. They are not rejecting him. The nation is not rejecting him. The leaders rejected him, but not the nation. The nation recognized who he is. 
and they're shouting and they're singing and they've got those palm branches you know they're waving those palm branches and and they've got this prayer shawl come here brother mark and help me out and they've got them literally tied up with those palm branches and they're holding them up you with me here you see these seats right here that's where those those intertwinings are right there these corners, the seat seats, yod hey bav hey is on every one of them. They're, that name of God is wound right in that. Yes. In every one of them. So they pull those, that up like a canopy. Yeah. Like a hoopah. Like a wedding chamber. Like a wedding hoopah. Yeah. They've got it lifted up. And the Messiah is riding right underneath that. They're not putting it on the ground, man. They're putting it over him. And they are shouting. And they are singing. And they are worshiping. Like nothing you have ever seen in your life. It is so powerful that it is a shaking in the land. It is the equivalent of an earthquake going off there. So the people of Israel, man, they recognize him and they're worshiping him as their Messiah and their king. The long-awaited promised Messiah. The one the prophets prophesied about. Here he is. The leaders should have been out front dancing. The Pharisees. The religious leaders. The priests should have been dancing out front. The leaders should have been shouting out front. The leaders should have been leading the whole thing as Jesus came up. But there's such a decay in religion and such a decline in faith. That the religious leaders are not greeting him and are not meeting him. It's the common everyday people that are going up to meet the Lord. It's just like it is today. The common people, they want to know God and they want to worship God in spirit and in truth. But the problem, sad to say, a lot of times the churches that are led by pastors, those pastors don't want worship to go up to God like that. It bothers them for loud praise. You, can I tell you something? Religious people don't like loud praise. And the religious leaders did not like the loud praise. But the people were shouting and singing and worshiping God and lifting the talit and making a canopy out of it for him to pass underneath. And those religious leaders said, well, you need to shut. You can read these gospel accounts in Matthew. You can read it in other places. But the religious said, would you shut them up, Jesus? Would you tell them to be quiet? Jesus said, if they hold their peace, the rocks will cry out. God is able to raise up of these stones. Children of Abraham. And if these people don't praise me. Jesus said, God can cause the stones to have sons of Abraham, and they'll praise me. Jesus said, somebody's going to praise me. The religious leaders didn't want it happening, you know, because that's religious flesh. Religious flesh doesn't like loud praise. Really what it all amounted to was they wanted the praise for themselves. <laughs> They didn't like the competition. They said the whole world is going after him. I'm telling you, that city was shaking when he came in there. 
Praise God. These same pilots that they lift up above his head and he travels underneath there and they're praising and singing God there in his triumphal entry. This same pilot is going to be used by Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. They're going to take and they're going to wrap the body of Jesus after they crucify him a few days from now. And they're going to wrap it up like a cocoon and a plaster like you would put a broken arm in. They're going to wrap his body up in that. Then they're going to take that talit and wrap that talit around his head. And tie that, those fringes, those zitzits. These zitzits right here around his head. So he's going to be buried in his talit. That is the tradition of the Jews. They bury people with their talit, with their prayer shawl around their head. Are you with me right now? But that's not the last time we're going to see the talit. Because the third day Jesus will rise again from the dead. And when you walk in there, when they walked in there, they saw a cocoon-like structure that was not disturbed. It wasn't just a cloth laying on the top of him. It was a cocoon structure. Like a cast that completely encasted, if you will. I know that's probably not a word, but put his whole body in that cast. And they walked in, they saw what looked like the form of a body in a cast, but it wasn't there. The body was gone. But here's what's important. Over on the right side, next to where he laid, there was a nap, they, they call it a napkin, that was on his face, wrapped up over where those, those, uh, that resurrection, that, that uh, casket was, or that uh, plaster was. Over on the right side was the talit. And it was wrapped up nicely and neatly and put over to the side. And that is a, 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 a picture and a truth that declares, I'm coming back. Come on. It's connected to his royalty. It's connected to his royalty. In Revelation 19, let me give you an example. Let me show you what the Bible says. When he comes back, that same talit that was wrapped around his head, that was folded up. Over in the corner declaring he's going to come back. And he's coming back, my friend. I said he's coming back. And there's people that are looking for him. There's some people that are just religious. But Revelation chapter 19, the Bible says. Are you with me here? Verse 5. And a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude, as the voice of many waters, and the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. The who? The Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousnesses of the saints. And he saith unto me, Right blessed are they which are called in the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And I saw heaven opened. And behold a white horse. Here's his triumphal entry. His second coming. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he does judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, 
And on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. He was clothed with a vesture, say a vesture, dipped in blood. That is the talit. He's clothed in a prayer shawl. He's clothed in the talit. And that talit of that prayer shawl is dipped in blood. The Bible tells us, and his name is called what? The Word of God. The armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron, he, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture, say vesture, or that talit, and on his thigh a name written. Now that's interesting because when you put that prayer shawl on, that seat with the, with the name of God on it is going to lay on the thigh. Come on. That blue cord that's on that talit is no longer blue, it's purple because it's been dipped in blood. You take a blue color and you dip it in red and it turns purple. And so when he comes back, his vesture or his talit has been dipped in blood. So it's no longer blue, it's purple. It declares his royalty. That's why they're lifting it above his head. They're announcing, you're the king, you're the messiah. You're the savior. They're declaring his royalty. So now he comes back and it's a purple talit because it's been dipped in blood. It's no longer blue. It's purple. Hallelujah. And the Bible says on that thigh where that, where that seat seat would lay. It tells us right here. He hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written. King of kings. Say with me King of kings. King of kings. Friend, if he's not God, then he can't be king of kings. He can be a king, one among many kings, but he cannot be king of kings if he's not God. So he comes back and he's wearing that talit. Now it's purple. It declares he's king of kings and he is what? He's Lord of Lords. He's Yot Hey Vav Hey. He is Jehovah God. He is the Lord Almighty. Jesus is God. King of Kings and Lord, all capitals of Lords, all capitals. He is God Almighty. He is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So there's going to be another triumphal entry. Praise God. Literally. But every time we come to the house of the Lord and we declare that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords and every time we worship him, the Bible says that he inhabits the praises of Israel. The word inhabit means to be enthroned. It doesn't mean you make a throne. He's on a throne whether you make it or not. What it does mean is that you recognize he is on the throne and that he is the king. So he is enthroned on your praise. So every time we come to church and we worship him, then it's a triumphal entry. Because he's coming in here and he's coming in here triumphant. And religious flesh is not going to like such exuberance. Religious flesh is not going to like that outward praise. 
Because they want the glory for themselves. You know. And flesh doesn't like that kind of praise because flesh wants to be seen as dignified. But I got news for you. Whenever you dance before the Lord and you run and you shout. It is not a sign of your lack of education. It is not a, a sign of your lack of dignity. You know what it declares? That he's God and you're a creature. And all creatures must worship him because he is God. We are his servants and he is king. So I don't care what you think about me. And there's a lot of people here don't care what you think about them either, you know. The runners and the shouters, you know. They're going to be the ones that are looked at like, man, these people, they're really, they're, they're, probably, they're, just, they're, they're just a little off, you know. They're, they, they, they probably aren't too smart anyway, you know. Uh, come, are you with me here? <laughs> they really had it together, you know what I'm talking about? If they, then they wouldn't act like they do. Praise God. But you're standing there and giving a lecture or just standing there saying, I love Jesus every once in a while. <laughs> Doesn't declare anything. What it, well, it does declare is this. You're not rightly submitted to the king. You're not rightly submitted to, the God, to God. You know what? When you run, when you shout and you praise, you know what you're saying? I'm a creature. He's the creator. I'm in submission to him. So the whole city coming out to worship him. And all those religious leaders have a problem with that. I pray to God you never lose your worship. I pray to God you never lose your praise. I, I pray to God you never get dead. And you never get refined. There's a lot of people who've been in Pentecost for a long time. They lost their worship a long time ago. Sad to say some of you came out of churches that didn't worship God like he should be worshipped and you brought it over here with you. But I got news for you, friend. We're going to worship him. We're not going to lose our praise and our worship because we've been in Pentecost for a while. Hopefully it gets more exciting. Hopefully it gets more exuberant. So that's exactly what they're doing right there. And it's the fulfillment of Psalm 24. Psalm 24, the scripture says this. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. For he hath founded upon the seas and established it upon the floods. Then the question is, who shall ascend in the hill of the Lord? When Jesus is making his way down the side of the Mount of Olives, through the valley of Kidron, and up into Jerusalem through the gate, he is going up to Jerusalem. Whenever you come to church, you just started going up. I don't care what kind of problems you had today. I don't care what your difficulty is. As soon as you made up your mind, I'm going to the house of the Lord. That's when, when you started driving to church, when you started making your way to the house of worship, that's when you started going up. You started ascending as soon as you started coming here. And before it's all over, you're going to be different. David asks the question though. He says this. 
Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Say the Lord. The Lord. All capitalized. Yod hey vav hey. Or who shall stand in his holy place? Who qualifies to get in that place? Who qualifies to get in Mount Zion? Who qualifies to get in his presence? Who qualifies to stand in the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. His life's right. His heart's right. Her life's right. Her heart's right. Who hath not lifted up his soul into vanity nor sworn deceitfully. Gone after empty things and worshipped them. Made them God. Hallelujah. He shall, verse 5, receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. And when Jesus is riding into Jerusalem and they're exuberantly worshiping him and putting those tallits above him with those palm branches and singing and praising and worshiping him as he triumphantly enters. Are you with me here today? They say, Hosanna in the highest. You know what they're calling? The Savior. They're saying, save us now. We need you to save us. We need you to deliver us. Verse 5, the person who has clean hands and a pure heart, not lifted up his soul into vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his what? Salvation. The God of his salvation. This is the generation of them that seek him, that seek thy face, O Jacob. And David wrote this psalm when he brought the ark of God back to Jerusalem remember the ark had been captured and for many years it was in Obed-Edom's house and he went over to Obed-Edom's house and he got that ark representing the presence of God the throne of God and he brought it back to where Jerusalem so here comes David an insane man the most powerful man in the world the king from Judah, the king over Israel. His name is David, the most powerful man in the world. And he brings up the presence of the Lord back into Jerusalem. And how does he do it? He takes off his kingly apparel. He sets it aside. He puts on an ephod, a linen ephod, which is a picture of priesthood. And he begins to worship God as he brings that ark back up into Jerusalem. And, and how does he worship the Lord? Does he walk in front of the ark giving cross symbol signs? Is he carrying a cross in front of it like this? No, you know how David brought up the ark of the presence of the Lord? You know how he brought Jesus into Jerusalem? He brought Jesus into Jerusalem just like they did in Mark chapter 11. I said G David brought Jesus up into Jerusalem. And he offered sacrifices of a certain amount of paces. And all of a sudden, something got a hold of him. 
in that linen ephod, a common man. He starts dancing. <laughs> and it literally means he jumps up and he spun around. The most powerful man in the world. Jump up, spin around, and dancing before the Lord as he brings the ark up into Jerusalem. Now watch what he does. He shouts at the, at the choir in Jerusalem. This is what he shouts. The Bible says that he brings up the presence of the Lord. Verse 7, he says, lift up your heads, O ye gates. And be ye lifted up. You know what he's saying, and I know what he said right there, but let me just give you a little insight. What he's saying is this, you surrender your keys to the king. Surrender the keys to your city. Surrender the keys to your gates. Give them to the king. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up. Some of you need to surrender your keys to Jesus. You need to let him come inside of you. You need to let him come in your city. So David shouts to the choir. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, be ye lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. And yes, this is when he's bringing the ark up, but I believe that that's what they said when Jesus rose from the dead and ascended up. As soon as he got to the gates of the new Jerusalem, it was heard in the new Jerusalem. <laughs> Lift up your heads, O ye gates, be ye lifted up, and the King of glory shall come in. He's going to come in. He's resurrected from the dead. So it happened in the time of David. It happened when Jesus rode into Jerusalem. It happened at the time of his resurrection. Hallelujah. Can you imagine what it must have been like the days of day when David was dancing there and he shouts this to the choir in Jerusalem to open the gates because he's fixing to come in with the presence of the Lord. Can you imagine what it must have been like when Jesus riding into Jerusalem under the canopy of Talits and the praise and worship that's going up there in that place? Can you imagine what it must have been like when Jesus ascended up and walked through the gates of the new Jerusalem? And there's a throne there in the heavens and he, and he walks over and he just sits right there. Woo. God himself. God himself in flesh now ascended up walking through the gates can you imagine how the angels must have acted how they must have responded as the king God himself in flesh makes his way down the street of the city called Jerusalem and sits on that throne that the ark was just a type and a shadow of and he says I am the king of kings and the lord of lords and the heavens begin to reverberate with praise and glory. David shouts, lift up your heads, O ye gates, be ye lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Now the choir sings back. They ask David, they say, they sing, Who 
is this king of glory? David responds back to the Lord. The Lord, all capitalized. The yote, the hay, the vile, the hay. The Lord. Come on, somebody. Who is this king of the Lord? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. And then verse 9. Everybody together. David and the choir in Jerusalem. Everybody together. They sing together. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Even lift them up, ye everlasting doors. And the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? And they all shout together. The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. And so now not only do the gates surrender their keys to this king. A city sur surrenders itself to this king. And then a nation surrenders itself to this king. And harmony, everybody is worshiping him. And if you're going to be a part of this kingdom, then you're going to have to worship him in spirit and in truth. Let me rephrase that. You don't have to, you get to. So don't use the excuse, but I've been in Pentecost for years. You know what? Don't lose the fire. Don't lose the worship. Don't lose the praise. Surrender the keys of your house, your city, and your nation to him. So that's what David did in the Old Testament. That's what they're doing here in the Gospel of Mark. That's what they did when Jesus ascended up from the dead. Give God praise. <laughs> so religious people, you know, they like it quiet. And they get around people who are exuberant in their worship, you know. Well, you know what? You don't have to be so radical, do you? You don't have to act like that, do you? No, no, but when God gets a hold of me and I recognize who he is, there's something that gets a hold of me that I, I just, I just can't stop praising his name. I just can't stop worshiping him because he's worthy of it. Even when I don't feel like it, even when I don't even recognize that he's come in, even when I've got to ask the question, who is this Lord of glory? He's still worthy of the worship. And so they are worshiping him. And I'm glad to be a part of a church that worships God that believes in praising him. Hallelujah. The Bible says they brought the coat to Jesus. We already read that. We already talked about that. They spread their garments in the way, not putting it on the ground. Man, they're lifting it before him. They cut down branches off the trees and strawed them in the way. Hallelujah. Awesome God. Awesome God. 
And then later on when they would celebrate and observe the Feast of Pentecost, they'd take those same branches and they would wave them before the Lord like this. They'd make a swishing sound. It sounded like wind. And exactly what happened on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Ghost was poured out and it was like a rushing mighty wind. And everybody in that house was filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. When you get in His presence, man, it's alive. Verse 9, they went before. And they that followed cried, saying, Hosanna, save us now. Save us now. We need you to save. And see, what they're thinking is, they need to be saved from a corrupt priesthood. They're thinking is, we need to be saved from a Sanhedrin court. We need to be saved from Roman government. But they needed more than salvation from a corrupt priesthood, a Roman government, and a Sanhedrin court. They needed salvation from their sin. And that's what he exactly was going to do for them. He's going to come and save them from their sin. Give God some praise. So the king is back. The king is back. After David brought the ark back up and put it in, hallelujah, in the tabernacle of David, it was later placed in the temple by Solomon, the presence of the Lord, in Ezekiel chapter 10. You can read Ezekiel chapter 10 and chapter 11. The presence of the Lord left the carabims. He left uh, the ark of the covenant. He moved from the ark of the covenant to the threshold. He went from the threshold to the Mount of Olives, and he headed toward the east. So now when Jesus comes back, the glory is coming back. The Shekinah glory in person is coming back. So he moves from the east. He goes back to the Mount of Olives. Then he goes through the gate of the city of Jerusalem. Come on. To be recognized as the king that left Israel in the days of the prophet Ezekiel. I'm back, says he. And he is God is who he is. And the people, the people, the common people recognize it. Problem is the leaders don't recognize it. Verse 10, blessed be the kingdom of our father David. Ah, yeah. You know, we remember what David did back there in Psalm 24. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus entered in Jerusalem and in the temple. And when he had looked around, he goes in that temple to investigate. He goes into the church to investigate, to take a look at what's going on. And I'm telling you, he came in here tonight to investigate. He came in here to check it out. He came to investigate my condition. He came to investigate your condition. But before I get to that, are you with me today? Let me show you something gospel of Luke. Hallelujah. He, he knew what was happening. He knew what was going to happen. This is exciting. It's an exciting time where he's recognized as the king. But, but he knew that he would be crucified. He had already declared it on his way to Jerusalem. He knew he would be the Passover lamb. In Luke chapter 19, the Bible tells us, Verse 41, as he <clears throat> begins to make his way to that city of Jerusalem, he says this, and when he had come near, he beheld the city and he wept over it. Yeah. 
Why are you weeping, Jesus? Seemed like you'd be excited about all this praise and all this worship that's going on, you know, and this excitement, and it is exciting. Then why are you weeping? Because he knows the, the condition of the church. He knows the condition of his people. So he weeps over the city of Jerusalem. Are you here today? He sees that city. Go with me and look at the Psalms again. Psalm 42. Watch what it says there. Here's what it says about that city. Jesus saw it as he, as he made his way there. Forty-eight, two. Let's read it. Uh, verse one. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of His holiness. Verse two. Beautiful for situation. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion. On the sides of the north, the city of the great King. So as he travels and he gets a glimpse of that city, he sees this beautiful temple, marble made out of marble. Man, the sun hits it. It's like. What I understand in history, they say it's like nothing you've ever seen before. When you see the city of Jerusalem and you see that temple made out of marble and that gold ring around the top of it, it's like nothing you've ever seen in your life, they said. It was so beautiful. And Jesus, he gets a glimpse of that temple. Are you here today? But he weeps over that city. Why does he do that? Well, the Bible tells us. Luke 19. Verse 42 saying, if, they, if thou hast known even thou at least in this thy day. The things which belong unto thy peace. But now they are hid from thine eyes. For the days shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee. And compass thee round and keep thee on every side. And shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee. And they shall not leave in one, thee one stone upon another. Because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. See, are you here with me? The people that are receiving him. They're, they're worshiping him. They're recognizing him for who he is. Are you understanding? But he sees the real picture. He knows what's going to happen. A few days from now, he's going to be crucified. And the religious leaders are going to reject him. And he knows that. And it's all in the plan. It's all in the plan. Some people say love is blind. But that's not true. Because divine love is not blind. He knew exactly what was going on. Do you understand? Praise the Lord. And I'm what I'm trying to tell you is this. They recognized Him and they received Him and they worshipped Him. But they did not realize their need. They didn't understand their condition. That He is going to have to die for them. For their sin. Are you with me? They think, well, now's our time. The Roman government's going to be overthrown. And we're going to get rid of this corrupt priesthood. And the Sanhedrin court is going to be removed. And the king is here. And everything's going to be great. But that's not the outcome of this last week of the life of Jesus. And he knew that because he is not blind. Come on. I said he's not blind. And I don't want to put down our worship or our praise. It's wonderful. But sometimes it's so shallow. You know why? 
Because when we pray or we worship, it's because we want God to get us out of a problem. We want God to fix our problems. We want God to give us an answer. We want God to anoint us to preach. We want God to anoint us to teach. So we stand in the prayer room. God anoint me to preach. God use me tonight. But you know what he really wants? He wants a relationship with you. He can meet your need. He can overthrow the oppressor. He can help you and wants to help you. But I want you to know sometimes our prayer is so shallow. And our praise is so shallow. Why don't we just do it because we love him? Instead of always wanting something from him. God, I'll worship you tonight if you'll make me feel goosebumps. God, I'll worship you tonight if you do something for me. God, I'll worship you if you help me. God, I'll worship you if you get me out of this problem. God, I'll worship you if you'll give me an answer. Why can't we just love him? Why can't we do it? Because we just love him. We just worship him. I don't, Lord, if you overthrow the Roman government in my life, wonderful. If you get rid of the corrupt priesthood in my life, wonderful. You get rid of the Sanhedrin, wonderful. But there's something more important than that. That I might know you. I want to know you. Listen, friend, I, I'm so tired of form. I'm so tired of going through the motion. I want to know him. I'm tired of praying just so I can get an anointing. I'm tired of praying just so I can get a revelation. I'm tired of praying just so, because I want God to do something for me. Come on, that's shallow. Why can't we just love Him? Let's just worship Him. He is the Lord. He is wonderful. He is the Savior. I'm going to worship Him tonight. Even if everything's not going my way, I'm going to worship him tonight. Even if he doesn't even anoint me tonight, I'm still going to worship him. If I don't feel anything, I'm still going to worship him. If I flop, if I fall flat on my face tonight trying to preach, I'm still going to worship him. Because he is my God. Habakkuk said it doesn't matter. He said if there's anything in the stall, it doesn't matter if there's any grain in the, in the barns, it doesn't matter. He said, I'm still going to worship the Lord. So they were all excited and all exuberant, but it was shallow. Because when they shouted, save us, come on, maybe some of them got a revelation and understood what they were saying. But most of them were just asking God to come bail them out. Lord, help me. That is so shallow. I want to worship him because I want to know him. I want a relationship with him, brother. <coughs> Listen, the way we sing, it's just a vehicle anyway. It, it does, you know, if there's two, three, one, nobody up here, or we sing by karaoke, it doesn't make any difference because it's just a vehicle to try to help you get in a relationship with God. 
I want him to ride into my life tonight. I want to give him my keys. I want to submit my city, my nation to him and say, rule my life, God. I don't want you just to be a savior to me. I don't want just a savior. I want a Lord. I want a king. Listen. If all you want out of Jesus is just a Savior, He will not even be your Savior. Because He cannot be your Savior and not be your Lord. He cannot be your Savior and not be your King. He must be the King of your life. He must be the Lord of your life as well as the Savior of your life. Is He Lord tonight? Is He King tonight? In this passage, He was King for a day. for a day come on somebody I get so tired of people now not all of you but some of you are just as dead as you can possibly be you've been at Pentecost for years you need to be awakened you need to be a shaken you need to get a relationship with God you need to know him you've learned the form you learned the way you know how to move you know how to clap you know how to sing you know you got it all down you've even learned how to speak in tongues What we really need is a genuine praise and worship that says, God, not just for what you can save me from. I'm not just looking, looking to you, Jesus, for what you can do for me. I, I'm going to live for you, God. I'm going to call you Lord. I'm going to call you King. Not for a day, but for the rest of my life. I give you my life for the rest of my life. And Lord, whatever you tell me, whatever you want from me, it all belongs to you because you are the Lord and I'm not. That's why he wept. He understood it was shallow. They just wanted him to do something for him. Oh, how the heartbeat of God, how much God tonight... I just, I feel, and I, I sense in my spirit, the Lord is grieved because His church is always coming to Him and begging, God, help me. God, I got a problem again. God, I don't know what decision to make. God, help me make the right decision. God, He's so much more than that. He's King. He's God. He's Lord of glory. He's more than the one who butters my bread and sweetens my tea. He's the more than somebody that puts money in my bank account. He's so much more than that. And I believe at times he weeps over the church because the church will only worship him for what they can get out of him. Lord God, help me tonight. But he rides in here tonight and I pray he don't leave this place crying. I pray he comes in here and he feels welcome. And he feels a place where people are not always wanting to get something out of him. But a place who's willing to give something to him. I'm going to praise you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to lay down my kingly apparel. I'm going to step down off my throne. And I'm going to say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life unconditionally yes! unconditionally God no condition
There's nothing in the stalls and there's nothing in the barns. I'm still going to worship you. I'm still going to sing. I'm still going to smile. I'm still going to shout. I'm still going to love you. Because my worship is not conditional. If it's conditional, then all you want is something out of Him. But if it's unconditional, it doesn't matter what you're going through. You love Him. I don't want to be the cause of His tears. I don't want Him to come in here, you know, and we got it going on. And it's, it's exuberant, it's outward, you know, and all of that. But secretly, He's not Lord. Secretly, He's not the King. Lord, if I'm not preaching to you, I'm preaching to me tonight. He needs to be more than just a king for a day. You know why the Bible, the Bible says, Offer up a sacrifice of praise unto Him, which is the fruit of your lips. Offer a sacrifice of praise. You know why that's so precious to God? It's because there's no strings attached to it. You're not worshiping him because of what he's done for you. you know, that's, that's praise. Anybody can praise him. When you praise the Lord, it's, you praise him for what he's done for you. But when you worship him, you don't worship him for what he's done for you. You worship him for who he is. That's only true worship. Anybody can praise him when something good happens to him. But are you a worshiper? Only people who are filled with the Holy Ghost can call Him Lord. And only people filled with the Holy Ghost who call Him Lord are true worshipers. Anybody can praise Him. The drunk on the street can praise Him. The trees can praise Him. The birds can praise Him. But they can't worship Him. You're the only one that can worship Him. I said, you're the only one that can worship Him. That's why He loves a sacrifice of praise. I'm going to praise Him when I don't feel like it. I'm going to worship Him because of who He is. If I don't feel good in my body, He's still God. If He doesn't heal me, He's still God. If he doesn't bail me out, he's still God. Do you believe that tonight? So Jesus swept over the city, and this is what he said to them. He said, if thou hast known, even thou at least in this thy day. He said, you don't recognize it's your day. You don't recognize it. You don't recognize it in Daniel chapter 9. That Daniel prophesied 483 years. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Are you here tonight? From the rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem, 483 years. And then the Messiah would come. And all you had to do, and a lot of you had gathered here, and the, the multitudes you've gathered here, and maybe you didn't even know about the prophecy of Daniel, but you were here. But you religious leaders... You knew you're supposed to know the prophet Daniel. You're supposed to know what Daniel said in Daniel chapter 9. 
483 years from the time the city of Jerusalem was rebuilt, Messiah would come and be cut off, not for himself, but for his people. And those religious people should have been standing at the door saying, this is the 483rd year. He's fixing to come right now. They can mark it down day by day. It was prophetically declared. It was, come on, are you here? But they didn't recognize it was their day. They didn't recognize that it was the day that Daniel's prophecy was going to be fulfilled. And a lot of people in the church today, they don't have a clue. They have no clue as to the time they're living. You are about to see the unfolding of the fulfillment of biblical prophecy like you have never seen in your life. And if you're not careful, you can miss your day. You can miss your opportunity. They missed their opportunity. Do you understand? They should have known the day, man. They should have been watching it. They should have been in tune. If you had known, at least in this thy day. And the things which belong unto thy peace. Not only this is a fulfillment of prophecy. Daniel said 483 years. 483 years to the day. Jesus rides into Jerusalem. To the day. But they didn't recognize it. And then he said, not only that, but you didn't recognize your peace. It was the time of thy peace. The Prince of Peace has come in. He's riding in on a, on a donkey, declaring peace. Not war, but peace. But they didn't recognize the day or the peace that God had for him. And then he goes on and he says, because of that, but now they are hid from thine eyes. Whenever somebody, listen, three times in every man's history, and three, and I say man, when I say man, I mean women too. Three times in every man or woman's life, three times in every nation is laid out in this prophecy of Jesus. He said to the nation of Israel, he said, you didn't recognize your day. You didn't recognize it was the time of thy peace. Now they are hid from your eyes. Every individual, every man, every woman, and every nation has these three things in its history. Number one, in Israel, they missed their opportunity. They missed their opportunity. Why? Because they rejected their opportunity. Every person has an opportunity. Every nation has an opportunity. Every church has an opportunity. But if that opportunity is rejected individually, nationally, or by a church, the next step takes place. Blindness. Because you didn't know it was your day and you didn't know it was your peace. Now they are hid from your eyes. You rejected your opportunity, America. You rejected your opportunity, individuals. You rejected your opportunity, church. And because of that, now you are blind and they are hid from your eyes. What you should have seen, what you could have seen, what it could have been. 
And the next thing after, the first one is opportunity rejected. The second thing is blindness falls on a nation, an individual, or a church. The third thing that comes on them is judgment. He gives them the next step. Come on, because they didn't recognize it. Let me read it to you. He said, Now they're hid from your eyes for the days shall come upon thee, that thy enemies shall cast a trench about thee, and compass thee round about, and keep thee on every side, and shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee, and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. You didn't recognize your day. You didn't recognize your peace. You didn't recognize your visitation. You've been visited by the king. You've been visited by God. God is visiting you. And because you didn't recognize it, then now they are hid and following your blindness comes the judgment. And I declare to you right now that our nation has had opportunity. An opportunity to reject. Rejected brings blindness. And then blindness is followed by judgment. And I declare unto you that there are many churches that have had their opportunities, but their opportunity rejected brings blindness. And then that is followed by judgment. I, come on, somebody. And I declare to you, there are many, many uh, individuals that are supposed to be in covenant with God who have rejected their opportunities. They have disobeyed the word. They have disobeyed the King of kings and Lord of lords. And because of that rejection of that opportunity, now they're walking in blindness. They are people in the covenant community, but they are blind. They cannot see. And following that will come judgment. But that happens to every nation, every individual, and every church throughout time. Will you recognize when it's your day? Will you recognize when it's your opportunity or will you reject it? The moment you do that, blindness sets in. You continue to walk in blindness, then the judgment will come. And I'm asking us tonight, by the word of the Lord, do you recognize the time you're in? Do you recognize the prophetic season that we're in right now? Do you recognize the day? Do you recognize the peace that God wants to offer you? Do you recognize the visitation of God among us? Or have we just become and are we becoming just another religious group? I don't want to be just another religious group. Because you know what happens when somebody, when they reject their opportunities and they turn blind and then the judgment comes on that house and the glory of the Lord departs from them. You know what happens then? Then they start going through motions. <clears throat> they start playing the part. No need to. We don't have to, friend. But I'm telling you, we got to wake up. We have got to wake up. <clears throat> because we're flirting with it. We're playing games. You with me here today? Give God some praise. The good news is that Jesus is in the house. Jesus, if you can't feel him, there's something wrong with you, man. If you don't know he's here right now, you don't know the day you're living in. If you don't know he's here right now, you don't know the time of your visitation. If you don't know he's here right now, you don't know it's the time of your peace. 
Because he has come in here today not to do war with you. He hasn't come in here to do war with me. He has come in here to be worshipped and be praised. And to enter into relationship with me. And in that relationship and in that faith producing peace in my life. And vision. And hope. And victory. I think some of the reason why Israel was so blinded here was because they had become victims. They were living a victim mentality. And they were fruitless. And they did not have faith in God. So now they're a tree that doesn't produce any fruit. They're a hypocrite tree is all they are. Isn't that sad? When God himself rode into Jerusalem that day. And he said he wept over them. The things they, they missed. The things they could have had. They didn't get. Rejected. Then blindness. Then judgment. Do you see our nation right now is in trouble? Yes! Our nation is in trouble. I challenge you November. I think it's the 8th. Check me on this. 8th. To go out and vote. On Proposition 2. And Proposition 2 declares that a man and a woman is, is a marriage. <laughs> Not a man and a man or a woman and a woman, but a man and a woman is a legal marriage. I challenge you to get out there and to vote on that. Don't let the homosexual community come from all the other states and fill Texas <coughs> with their votes. Get to the polls. Vote. Be the salt and the light of this nation. We can't get this victim mentality and just lazy and just, well, it's just... No, no, no. We got to stand up, man. <clears throat> so go out and vote November the 8th. Proposition 2. Vote man and woman equal to marriage. How many of y'all believe that today? Because slowly, America is rejecting its opportunity. And it's become more and more blind. Bringing the judgment of God upon it. Do you understand? So Jesus said as a result of that, everything's coming down. He said there's not going to be one stone left upon another. It's all going to come down. They're going to plow it like a trench, man. Are you here? Because that physical judgment is in relationship to their spiritual condition. And you need to understand something. That the spiritual condition that each of us individually walk in affect even the physical world. Right before the flood hit the world. And I know I'm kind of drifting a little bit. But I'm talking about judgment. Right before the flood hit the world. You know what brought the flood on? Because the wickedness in the earth. Men's hearts were evil continually. And because the evil heart in man was, was continually wicked, then it caused the flood. So the condition of an individual spirit affects the physical world. Do you understand that? So what we do does make a difference. And Jesus is telling them, you've missed your opportunity. You've missed your time of peace. 
you miss the time of your visitation. Blindness. And then followed by judgment. Give God praise. <clears throat> Come on. I'm trying to tell you something today. Let's worship God, not just as Savior. Let's just don't, let's don't just shout about Hosanna, how, what He's done for us and how He's saving us. But let, let's worship Him because He is God. He is the King. He is the Lord. Let's don't miss the, our opportunity, our peace, and our visitation from God. From there, Jesus walks into the temple to do an investigation. And when he gets there, he sees the corrupt condition. He sees, he knew it was there. But he goes in and he investigates what he wept over. Are you with me here today? He walks into the temple. He enters into Jerusalem and in the temple. And when he had looked round about upon all things, and now the evening tide was come, he went out in Bethany with the twelve. Are you here? At the end of that day, at the end of that Sunday, he leaves the city. He goes out to Bethany with the twelve, and on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. Are you here today? Yes. Saying a fig tree afar off. Say a fig tree. Fig tree. Having leaves, he came, if happily he might find anything thereon, and when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. Now we see why he weeps. Because what we have here is an outward display of religion. Because the fig tree is the nation of Israel. It speaks of their kingdom life. It speaks of their national life. There's the fig tree, national life of Israel. There's the vine, the spiritual life of Israel. There's the olive, symbolic of the covenant life of Israel. And now he walks up and he looks at this fig tree. And it's not just a physical fig tree. This fig tree represents the nation of Israel. You with me here? Luke 13, you can read that sometime. Read Joel. The prophet Joel will clarify that to you. That this is the nation of Israel. The fig tree. And seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves. It's got an outward profession. But no spiritual fruit. It looks wonderful. Beautiful leaves everywhere. But no fruit. It's a hypocrite. Do you understand? It's a hypocrite tree. It professes one thing, but doesn't possess it. It says, look at me, man. Look how beautiful I am. And then you go there and you try to find some spiritual fruit there and it's not there. And that's exactly the condition of Israel. No spiritual fruit. Just an outward form of religion. An outward form of profession. That's all they had. Hypocrite tree. He came and happily he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves for the time of figs was not. Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. Say praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Lord help me tonight. I'm not saying the whole nation has rejected him. This passage shows you that they received him. But they didn't understand. They didn't, know, they didn't understand the day or the, or the time of their peace or, or their visitation. 
Do you understand? Do you believe that's where we are right now as a nation? The Lord comes to investigate. The Bible tells us Jesus cursed this fig tree. This is very strange for him to do. He normally comes forth to bless and, and to heal and to minister. But now he looks at a tree that's supposed to be producing fruit, doesn't produce fruit, and he curses it. It's a strange act to see Jesus doing. Why does he do that? Because there's no fruit on the tree. There is profession, but no production. See, God doesn't just want us to have a verbal confession or profession. He wants to see reality. He wants to see it producing spiritual fruit. He don't get caught up with all the show. He's not blind. That's why. Come on. He's not caught up with all the green verdure. He's not the plants, you know. The, the, he's not... He knows the heart. He knows the condition of the soul. Lord, help us tonight. Go on to Jerusalem. And Jesus went into the temple and began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. You with me here? This is Monday. Monday. Sunday. He's traveled into Jerusalem. You with me? All of those events we just preached about is taking place. And now it's Monday. Say Monday. Monday. It's evening time. Going into Monday. Their, their time is different. Evening time. And the Bible says when he gets into that temple... He began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrow the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. And would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. And he taught, saying unto them, it, Is it not written, My house? My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer, but you have made it into thieves. In John chapter 2, at the beginning of his ministry, he cast them out. Three and a half years later, at the end of his ministry, they, they're back in the same place. When Jesus comes to his temple, you, what will he find? When Jesus comes to his temple, which you are, what will you do? See, when he comes, he comes to purge. He comes to purify. He comes to bring purity. Each one of you are his temple, the temple of the Holy Ghost. And he comes in your life to investigate, to check out the condition of that temple. And a lot of us have got a lot of stuff. You know, we got the table set up. We got the... In the outer court, the court of the Gentiles and all that's going on. And now at the end of his ministry, he has to re-cleanse the temple a second time. And he goes in there and he, he's got a cord in his hand. And he begins to overthrow the tables of the money changers. And he drives out with those cords. The cattle and the sheep. Are you here? The Bible says when he did it in the, in the, fir the first time he did it, he drove them out. 
He said, take the dove onward. Take the dove from here. You know what he's saying? You know what he's showing him? He said, I'm fixing to fulfill what all of these do. I'm going to fulfill the Old Testament sacrifice. I will be the fulfillment of the cattle that was slain. I will be the fulfillment of the sheep that died. I will be the Passover lamb. Come on. But take, take with you the dove. You're fixing to go into the age of the Spirit. You're not going to have to offer sacrifice of cattle and sacrifice of sheep. Take with you the dove. He left the doves in the house. Because he's trying to show you transition. And then we know that in the earlier account, the Bible says, and John, uh, you can read it, read Luke, read, read the gospel writings on the first account, John 2 specifically. You can read where the Bible says when Jesus did that, the disciples recognize why he did it. The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. He had so much zeal. When he walked in that temple, his eyes were on fire. When he walked in that temple and began to throw those tables up and drive those, that cattle and that sheep out of there, his eyes were like a flame of fire. John saw in the book of Revelation the zeal of God's house. The zeal of thine house had eaten me up. That's a little, that's sort of unusual, isn't it, to see Jesus, this kind, compassionate, redeeming, healing Messiah, cursing a fig tree and throwing tables and taking a cord and driving cattle out and the, the money changers that were in that house. You ever seen God come in His temple and do that? You ever seen God do that in a church? See, a lot of you would say, that's not God. That's where you're wrong. (laughs) Because sometimes when God comes in His temple, He throws tables. He runs cattle out. He runs sheep out. You know what He's doing? He's going to purify His house. He purified it at the beginning of the church. At the beginning of the church, Ananias and Sapphira were slain in that church. At the beginning of the church, and in the last day's church, he's going to come again. He's going to purify his house. He's going to purify every one of you, my friend. He's going to purify this pastor. And when he does, he's going to throw tables over. He's going to, he's going to disrupt some things. I said he's going to disrupt some things. He's the lowly Jesus riding in peacefully on the back of a donkey. But he's also the line of the tribe of Judah. And sometimes he'll come in as a lamb offering peace. And other times he'll come in like a lion throwing tables over. So I'm asking you, how is he going to come to this house? How is he going to come to you? Because he's going to come. I said he's going to come. And when he comes, he's going to come to purify what will you do when he comes to his temple? You ever been in church? Where the Spirit of the Lord got so powerful in there? The Spirit of, of the Lord for purity was so powerful in that church? 
the table started flying. Hey, friend, he's not playing. He's not playing games. He means business. This is his lying nature coming out of him. And I guarantee you, you know, a lot of people will say, just like they asked Jesus, where do you get the authority to do that? Where do you get the authority to walk into this temple and do what you've done? Where do you get the authority to walk in the outer court and throw our tables over and drive our cattle away? You know what? He's God. That's where he gets his authority. And the same thing that he was to the rich young ruler. He didn't say anything about him being God. Are you with me? But he let him know he had the power that he was God. And that he could demand of the rich young ruler anything he wanted from him. So he's doing the same thing in this passage. He's standing up as God. He said, you know what? Now, listen, I know some of you are so sweet and kind. You know, it would do you some good to get some zeal. <laughs> you know, and I want to be kind. I want to be compassionate. I want to have the fruit of the Spirit in my life. But sometimes, you know what? <laughs> God's going to come in to disturb you. Jesus will disturb you. He disturbs demons. He disturbs religion. He will disturb you when he comes. He's a God who disturbs. And every once in a while when you're really walking with God, you know you're like your lamb all the time, your lamb. But every once in a while, you know what? Some fire gets a hold of you and some zeal for righteousness gets a hold of you. The zeal for his house, the zeal for his word, the zeal for his kingdom gets a hold of you. And it needs to be seen. You need, you need to see a little fire in your eyes. Come on. Pardon me for the analogy, but I heard somebody, you know, they're, they're, this, this baseball game, this pitcher, man, he was really throwing some strikes in. And the reason why the manager didn't take him out, because, you know, everybody in the commentators, deal, they, we ought to take them, they ought to take him out. And the reason why the managers did not take him out was because they said he had it still. And they said we could see it in his eyes. And if they can say that about a carnal baseball game, then I'm telling you tonight, they ought to be able to say it about the church. They ought to see some fire in us. They ought to see some zeal in us. We ought to be on fire for God and His church and His kingdom. Jesus wasn't passive. He's throwing tables over. Some of you need to get that kind of zeal, man. You need to let the Spirit of God take you over and go in there and just clean your house. Clean your house. Get every perverted thing out of your house. Throw it out the door. People drive by and say, what's wrong with those crazy people? The zeal of thy house have eaten me up. I've got fire shut up in my bones. And I'm not letting that in my house anymore. It's out of here. Because if you don't let that zeal burn in you, then this devil will move in your house. That's why. 
and this sinful thing will move in your house. And pretty soon they'll all be camped out idols in the house of the Lord. And Dagon will be in your house. And he might fall over by the power of God, but they're going to prop him back up. And the only thing that keeps him down is the power of worship. So you got to keep worshiping. you got to stay on fire. Listen, pastor, were you fired up when you got here? No, but I am now. And if you're not, if you're not, it's not the pastor's fault. And it's not because God isn't here. It's because you don't have fire in your eyes. You, you lost your zeal for God. You lost your zeal for the church. You lost your zeal. Some of us need to get some zeal back. You couple, couple with zeal, we need compassion, we need love, we need forgiveness, and all those things. They work together. Do you understand? We know all that, but we, you know, we, we can't, you know, in the name of compassion and love and kindness and all of that, not have a zeal for righteousness. We can't open our arms to every devil. I'm going to tell you something. We got our hands full as it is. With our own flesh. I'm talking about myself. With my own flesh. With your flesh. And everybody else's flesh in this church. We have enough problems. You know, and I was thinking to myself the other day. What it must be like in other places. If we preach the word of God like we preach it here. And we got the stuff here that we have. I can only imagine that the serpents and the goats and the, tr the trash that is in the house of God in places. They've just let it go. They just conveniently have just overlooked sin. They don't care anymore. All they want is the money in the account. They, they know they've got to pay a bill. They know they've got to pay a church payment. So they forgot about God and righteousness and holiness. They don't have fire anymore. They're just concerned about having enough money to pay that account, to pay that note. Well, I'm telling you something. We have a responsibility to do that, but we're not going to compromise fire and truth and righteousness and worship and zeal for that. We got enough stuff here. So you know what? If we let up, if we let up and we got all, you know, Every devil in hell comes set beside you. You need to thank God for fire. You need to thank God for zeal. If you don't got it, that's not who you are, then you need to pray, God, give me zeal. Why is it people are zealous for everything else under the sun except God? I'm telling you, zealous for everything under the sun. But the house of the Lord. But the things of God. Fire burns for everything else. And you stand up and you challenge people to consecrate themselves as the temple of the Lord. And to pray and to, to be sacrificial. Come on. They got a problem with that. They don't like that. But they're on fire for everything else. 
Lord, help me. I don't want to step on any toes, but I'm going to anyway. <laughs> I'm going to tell you something. You know what? If, we, if you can miss church for a baseball game, you need to get some zeal. If you can miss church for a football game, you need to get some zeal. Because you can be zealous for everything, but you come into the house of the Lord, and now you're a lamb. Seems to me like I drove by somebody's house the other day, and pots and pans and and everything else was flying out the door. And I heard shouting and screaming and I had to get closer. Because I wasn't sure if it was worship or... And it seemed like I heard somebody whose rights had been stepped on voicing their fire. But then they come to the house of the Lord. And they're all quiet and shy and bashful. Some of you are wondering if that was your house I drove by. Anybody here wondering that? <laughs> Seems like I drove by somebody's house and somebody won the game. The team that they wanted to win the game won the game. And it seemed like I heard some yeah. And I thought I was in church. I thought I heard worship. But then I began to hear a different kind of zeal. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not putting that down. But I'm telling you, we don't got it right. Jesus had a zeal for the right thing. See, Jesus was on fire for the right thing. Jesus. And if you don't have that kind of zeal, you'll let all kind of perversion live in your house. You'll let perversion get a hold of your kids. You got to get some zeal. Why are you like that, mama? Because I love God. And I'm not going to let you have that. I'm not going to let that stuff in this house. I'm not going to let that stuff in your life. Why? Because I got a zeal for God. And you can interpret me as being too radical and too way out. But I guarantee you, the next time you get real zealous and excited for something other than God, you'll remember what I'm preaching. The seal of thine house hath eaten me up. He said, you, he told those religious people, he said, you turn this temple, my house, my house should be a, a house of prayer for all nations. But you've turned it into a den of thieves. This is interesting to me. Because if that's his house, then he must be God. He said, this is my house. This is the temple of God. And if this is the temple of God, and he calls it his house, then he's God, my friend. And I'm just going to let you know something I know. That you don't belong to me. And this church doesn't belong to me. And nothing here belongs to me. None of these buildings belong to me. You don't belong to me. Nothing belongs to me. You know who you belong to? God. You are God's temple. Jesus quotes Isaiah 56. Watch this. 
Now, I promise you I'm going to let you go home so in the next two or three hours. Aren't you glad you're going to get to go home tonight? <laughs> Don't look at me like that. What's this? Isaiah 56. Jesus is quoting this prophecy or this word. I wonder who's talking in Isaiah 56. You ever wonder? We're fixing to find out. Yeah, if I can find it. Okay, Isaiah 56. Look at this. I'm going to read verse 1, then I'm going to go to verse 6 for the sake of time. Thus saith the Lord. Yod, hey, vav, hey. Some people say Jehovah. It's not, but the Lord, all capitalized. Keep ye judgment and do justice, for my salvation is near to come and my righteousness to be revealed. Go to verse 6. So we know who's talking here. Also, the sons of the stranger that join themselves to the Lord, all capitalized, Yod to serve him and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, everyone that keepeth the Sabbath. And by the way, you keep the Sabbath if you're filled with the Holy Ghost. Yes. Come on, come on. <laughs> yeah, okay. From polluting it and take hold of my covenant. Even then will I bring to my holy, my holy mountain. Right. This is the Lord talking, Jehovah, yod One God of the Bible, only God. Even then will I bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. I'll make them joyful in the house of prayer. Their burnt offerings, their sacrifices shall be accepted upon my altar. For mine house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. You know who said that? The one God of the Bible. And Jesus says the same thing. My house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. He is the God of the Old Testament. Come in human form. Not just a man. Not just Messiah, but God come in the flesh. And by the way, I didn't drive by any of your houses, so. <laughs> Woo, boy, see, some of you go, whoo. <laughs> the question is, have you driven by mine lately? <laughs> oh, Lord, that is scary. <laughs> But you see, God, Jesus is talking. The same thing that God said in the Old Testament, he's, God is now saying in the New Testament. His name is Jesus. And Jesus means, or Yahushua, Joshua, from which you get the name Jesus, literally means, yod heh vav is become your salvation. Yes, sir. I just don't want you to miss who this is. So when they got visited, they got visited by God Himself. Somebody say, Praise the Lord. And when He gets through, the scribes, the chief priests heard it and sought out how they might destroy Him, for they feared Him, because all the people were astonished at His doctrine. And when He was even was come, He went out of the city. And in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. Uh, mm. Help me, Jesus. Mm. That first part may be all a part of Sunday. This may be coming into Monday. I don't. I get so confused. 
because their times are different. But anyway, we got two days here, Sunday and Monday. And the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter calling to remember it, saith unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. You with me? Jesus answered and saith unto them, Have faith in God. Have faith in God. <laughs> in case you don't know what he just said is, This is my house. I am God. Have faith in me. I am more than a man. I am God. So he puts himself in the same relationship to the nation as he did with, to the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler is Israel. Do you understand? So he says, have faith in God. He says, if you don't want to be destroyed like the fig tree, here's the thing that will keep you from being destroyed. Faith in God. Faith in God produces fruit. If you don't have faith in God, you'll be destroyed because you'll never produce fruit. So if you've got real faith in God, then you're going to produce fruit. And if you produce fruit, you won't ever be destroyed like the fig tree. He's trying to tell them right now how to avoid destruction. Have faith in God. He, he, that's for this nation. That's for us. If it's for Israel, it's for us. Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain be now removed. Now watch this. He said... He's going to show them something very important. He said, you're going to have to have faith in God. Because there are going to be obstacles to the kingdom. Obstacles to the kingdom. Mountains. Very large mountains opposing the kingdom of God. If you don't have faith, you're not going to produce anything. If you don't produce anything, you're going to be destroyed individually or as a nation or whatever. Are you with me here? But he said to his disciples, he said, here's how you operate in the kingdom. By faith in God. And if you have faith in God, whatever obstacle comes against the kingdom. If you've got faith in God, he says... Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast in the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Okay. Man. We got purity, we got prayer. Other places, he's healing blind people in the temple. We've got power. Do you understand? He moves over here. He talks about faith and the opposition to the kingdom and how to deal with those oppositions. He said, if you've got faith in God, not faith in yourself, not faith in your ability, but faith in God, not faith in your faith, faith in God. You just say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast in the sea. Shall not doubt in your heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. That kind of faith in God will move mountains. 
Then it doesn't mean, are y'all getting tired? It doesn't mean that you're going to walk up to a physical mountain and say, jump in the sea. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I know that you'd love to have that kind of power. <laughs> you <laughs> see. <laughs> because if you had the ability to do that, you would disrupt the balance of the earth. <laughs> you know. Just walk up to any old mountain over there, you over here. You, man, thank God you don't have that kind of power. <laughs> the earth would reel to and fro like a drunkard. It will in the future. When Jesus comes back and his triumphal entry in the future, this earth will wobble to and fro like a drunkard. Because the mountains shall melt in his presence. So I'm just going to help you tonight. If you ever, you know, thought this passage, you were supposed to go cast out, you know, mountains into the sea. And you walked up to a mountain and said, go, and it never moved. Thank God it didn't. What it's talking about, it's symbolic. It's spiritual. When you face opposition and obstacles to the kingdom, you've got to tell it to get out of the way. You have to exercise authority. Faith. Speak to it. What's in the way of the kingdom? What's in the way? Of, what's coming between you and God? For Israel, they didn't have faith. They were spiritually barren. They just had outward profession. I don't have time to read Psalm 80. It talks about Israel as a vine. And you know what it talks about? It talks about an eclipse that she had. You know why there was no fruit on the vine? No fruit on the fig tree? Because she didn't have faith in God. Because she didn't have faith in God, then there was no production in her life. Come on. As a result of that, there was an eclipse in her life. Read Psalm 80. You know, I don't have time to preach it all to you. They had an eclipse. You know what happened? The world stepped in between them and God. Yes. And if the world ever steps in between you and God, you lose your life. If you lose your life, if you lose faith and you lose life, you lose that and you lose your production. Read Psalm 80 sometime. Maybe I'll preach it to you. It is awesome. But here's the key. Have faith in God. How many of y'all have faith in God? When everything is going the opposite direction. You have faith in God? Israel didn't. You speak to that mountain. Say, be thou removed and be cast in the sea. He shall not doubt in your heart, but shall believe that those things which he says shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. It's not his word that does it. It's not your word that does it. It's not my word that does it. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So when the word goes forth, then it increases your faith. So when you stand up and you speak to that mountain, it's not just some empty word that you, 
use against your opposition. It is a faith that is generated by the word of God. And when you say to the mountain, you're not saying your word, but you're saying God's word. And when you hear the word of God go forth and your faith increases, then you stand up in that power, the faith of God, and you speak his word against that mountain. And that mountain will be removed and cast in the sea. You know what I'm talking about? You ever come into church and you're all weak? You know? You don't even know if you're going to make it the next day living for God. You know? You're going to survive. Or, you know? It, woo. And then all of a sudden, you hear the word go forth and you feel like Superman. Now, I, I mean, you feel like. You can believe God for anything. It doesn't matter what your problem is. It's nothing anymore. You know, I mean, it, it, it was so petty anyway. And you know why? Because it's not your words of profession. Your own words. Your faith got increased by hearing the word of God. Now you go out and you don't speak your word, but you speak his word. This is what I heard last night. Hallelujah. This is what I believe. And in the name of Jesus, I command that sickness to leave. But there ain't no mountain going to move at your word alone without faith. God creating faith by his word and then exercising that living word against that mountain. Do you understand? Do you believe this? That's what Jesus said we could do. I believe it. Mm, I believe it. We accept too much. There are some things you don't need to accept. You do not get out of here. Do you understand? Don't go along. Yeah, speak to it. Do you understand the difference between getting up to a mountain or a problem? And the reason why it doesn't move is because you're using your own strength and you're using your own word. You know, the Bible says, if I just speak to this mountain, it goes. So Go. And it just waves at you. Say, hello, how you doing? I said, I'll see you tomorrow. Be here same time. <laughs> and it's nothing, it's not going anywhere. Because you don't understand this passage. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And then you speak in faith. You speak the word of God. And when you do that, it's his power and it's his word that moves it. Big difference, man. Do you understand? Therefore I say unto you, what things over you desire when you pray, believe that you receive and you shall have. <laughs> but it has to be according to the will of God. But I prayed for this, it didn't happen, and so I'll just backslide. Because God said, whatever I desire, I'll pray it. When you pray, believe that you receive it. I shall have it. I didn't get it. So I'm just going to backslide. I'm going to get mad on God. I'm going to quit God. Quit the church. It don't work. You don't understand. You got to get the will of God. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth. If it's God's will, then you speak His will. 
and it will come to pass. But if you get up there and you're trying to, you know, promote your own will, your own ideas, everything else, and it fails and flops. You said it was God, but it wasn't God. But if God tells you and you declare His will, come on. I hope I'm not misinterpreting this word of God, but... Y'all with me here? I just let's focus on faith. <laughs> let's focus on believing His Word. Stand praying. Verse twenty-five. Now, here's some things. Okay. Here's some things that hinder the mountains from being removed, and hindering what you pray for to come to pass. His house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Right. Things are going to oppose this kingdom. Speak to the mountain. It'll re- be removed. Hallelujah. What things ever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive and you shall have. When you stand praying, forgive. There's reasons why the mountain doesn't move. And there's reason why that what you desire when you pray for doesn't come to pass. Because number one, you don't have forgiveness in your heart. You're full of bitterness. You walk in, un- we, let me put this, I'm not saying you, we walk in unforgiveness. And it hinders our prayer. Do you understand? So we got to forgive, if you have aught against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Man. It affects everything, it affects everything. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. You got it? Okay. So it's important that we have production, not just profession. That we are people of prayer. Come on. That we are right on the inside in our spirits. And this is the way we handle opposition when it comes against the kingdom of God. Do you understand? We are to have faith in God. It should be seen in the church's life. It should be seen in our life. Fruit. Results. Verse 27. They came again to Jerusalem and as he was talking in the temple, there come to him the chief priests and the scribes and the elders and say unto him, By what authority dost thou these things? And who gave thee this, this authority to do these things? Where do you get the authority? Jesus. Well, he asked them a question. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or of men? Answer me. They reasoned with themselves saying, let me just tell you what's going on here. I mean, you know, you can read it. <laughs> but he is, in, he is engaged with his opponents in the temple. He is engaged with his opponents in church. His enemies most, com- most often are found in his house. And he is in... He's got opponents, and they are questioning his authority. God, God come in the flesh. The Messiah, the Prince of Peace, questioning him.
Now, so he asked them a question. He's much wiser than they are. The baptism of John wasn't from heaven or of men. Answer me. And they reasoned with him among themselves, saying, if we, he, if we shall say from heaven, he will say, why then did you not believe him? If John's baptism was from heaven, if the authority that he had came from heaven, you didn't give him his authority. Scribes, Pharisees, Sadducees, religious leaders, you didn't give John his authority to baptize in the River Jordan. So I'm going to ask you a question. Where did he get his authority to baptize? Was it from heaven? Ooh. How are we going to answer this? Do you understand? If it was from heaven, then why didn't you believe him? And if you believed him, then you would believe in me because he preached about me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But if we shall say of men, if we say, if we answer Jesus that the baptism, the authority he had was of men, they feared the people for all men counted John that he was a prophet indeed. Man, Jesus, he, put, he knew how to put them in their place, man, brother. He knew how to. See, they're trying, they're trying to back him in a corner here, questioning his authority. And he backed them down. And never even answered their question. You get around religious people and they want to question, you know, where you get the right, where you get the authority, do that, you know, all this stuff. Who you think you are? You know what? Sometimes the best thing to do, don't even, you know, maybe ask them a couple of questions. <laughs> and never, never even answer them. Because even if Jesus would have told them, I'm God. I have authority to do what I'm doing because I'm God they still wouldn't have believed that he had the authority so he's not going to get down in the mud with them you get down in the mud with pigs and you're going to get dirty too and he just refused to get down in the mud with them So you ask, ask some people, you, you're going to discern them at times. They're, they're in the church. And you're going to discern them at times. You see what I'm saying? You just ask them a couple of questions and never even answer their question. Just walk off. It'll make them so mad. They... He said, neither do I tell you by what authority I do these things. <laughs> his authority came from God. He is God. It wasn't his own, as a man, it wasn't his own authority. That was his house. This city belonged to him. He came to his own and his own received him not. 
But to as many as received him, gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. It all belongs to him. Question of authority. Dealing in the temple from day to day before his crucifixion. You know what he's doing? As the Passover lamb. He's already been selected. He's in the house of Zacchaeus on the 10th day. You with me? The 11th day Sunday, he rides in to Jerusalem. 12th day Monday, he's in the temple. You know what he's doing? He's been examined yes. by them. Yes. Yes. Yes, because the Passover lamb had to be examined to see if there were, is any blemish in him. And so as the Passover lamb, he walks into the temple precincts and he said, go ahead, yes. examine me. And you'll find no blemish. You will find no sin. You will find no wrongdoing. And for four days, they could find no fault in him. Just false accusations. That's it. He was the perfect Lamb of God. The Passover Lamb. Isn't God good? And that's not everything that happened in these couple of days. If you read the other Gospels, you'll find all the details. You hear? What a great God He was. To, to come into this world and subject Himself to what He subjected Himself to. Being criticized, critiqued, questioned, examined. God Himself in human form. He did all of that for you and for me. He did it for Israel. He's not through with Israel. He's not through with the church. He did all of that for me and for you. And even in the midst of finding Israel as a hypocrite tree, He still, still, it, it blows my mind. He's still trying to show them how that they can es escape the, the death and destruction of the fig tree. He had already interceded for them in the past. He said, dig up the roots around that tree and dung it. Add some fertilizer to it and let's check it later. The patience of Jesus, the goodness of Jesus, mixed with the zeal of the Lord. He's going to come in here. He's going to purge. He's going to dung you. He's going to dig, dig your roots up. And he's going to pour manure on top of you. And he's going to prune your branches. Come here, Brother Heath. He's going to take your spiritual limbs and go... <laughs> and then he's going to purge you he's going to get some soap and a sponge and he's going to wash those leaves off he has to do it he had to dig around the root 
Boy, I don't like to be dug around, do you? <laughs> so you came to church tonight. That's what happened. A lot of you, we've been digging. The Lord's been digging. I mean, he's got his, he's got his, what do they call that tool? You know, farming tool, fork. Man, just digging there. All that dirt, you know. And, and then he threw a little manure on top of you. <laughs> And then he clipped a dead branch here and a dead branch there. And he threw it off in the fire. And, and then he cleans you up, washed you, purified you, purged you. And then all of a sudden, tomorrow you're going to look. And to your amazement, this little bitty green shoot going to be pop out. It's going to come out. Hallelujah. And then all of a sudden you're going to look. You're going to see a fig. You're going to say, God, I didn't like when you were digging me up. I didn't like when you poured manure all over me. I didn't like when you cut me, pruned me, and purged me. But thank God there's some growth. And that growth is producing fruit. My faith is increasing. And it's something that you really can't measure. Can't measure. I can't measure it. But it's happening. Isn't this beautiful? I guarantee you, you don't think you are, but you're much stronger today than you were a year ago. It's impossible to come in here and have the Word of God clip on you and, and, and clean you and, and dung you and dig you without you having some growth and some fruit. So I love you and I think you're great. And I think that God, and I don't think, I know God wants to do great things with you. If you just, you know, just let Him do the work. But keep worshiping Him. And when you find yourself wanting Him only to be Savior, remember He's King. Remember He's Lord. And just get with Him sometimes and say, Lord, I just want to love you. I'm, I'm not going to ask you for anything. I don't want no answers from you. I don't want no money from you. I don't want anything. I don't want you to do anything. I don't want you to save me out of this. I just want to worship you right flat in the middle of it. And you watch what happens. You're going to feel something happen in your spirit. Most people come to church to get something from God. And that's okay because he wants to do something for you. But if you come in here all the time just wanting something from God. You need to change. <laughs> and you need to come in here. You need to worship the Lord just for who he is. And if you'll do that all of a sudden. That faith you're using. And that worship. You don't feel like it. All of a sudden. Automatically. Automatically. There's going to be fruit. Lord Jesus, when they're sitting there watching the games and they get excited, let them remember this word tonight and convict the tar out of them. Just go in there, cut on them, prune on them, wash them, dig them and dung them. <laughs> Hallelujah. I tell you what you do to alleviate your problem. When something like, 
If you're watching this, something good happened. Just, you know what you need to do? Just say, praise God. <laughs> really, anything that we are as a nation or a people or an individual is because God. Because of His compassion. We are what we are. Listen. Because of His compassion, we are what we are. Because of His deliverance, we have liberty as a nation and as an individual. If it wasn't for God, we would have neither one. I love you. God bless you. You are dismissed. You need to praise God all the time. All the time. Worship the Lord all the time. Go to somebody telling you love them tonight. In Jesus' name, it's good to have our guests with us tonight.